where are you headed? Jesus is inviting you on the journey of a lifetime. To know God, feed your soul, grow in love, and change your world. Today, we're going to talk about what it means to know God through worship. A few years ago, I made my first ever winter ascent in the Olympic Mountains in Washington State where I was living. A friend of mine called me and he said, we've got to do this, we've got to climb this mountain. And I thought, what are you, nuts? And um, he said, don't worry, I'll show you the ropes, I'll show you the way. So he came over and he decided to share a bunch of his gear with me and he said, look, you got to be ready for four main stages of this journey. When we start out, it's Washington, it's going to be raining, and so you've got to be ready with waterproof gear because we're going to get really, really wet. And then we're going to hit the temperature plane, and that rain is going to turn to snow, and we're going to have fresh powder on the ground, and we need snowshoes, and we need to shed that rain layer, and we got to be warm and agile for, for the snow that we're going to be in. And then we're going to break the timber line, and it's going to be wind-packed snow from there on out. You need traction cables on your shoes to survive. And then we're going to get to the ice face near the top where the wind is intense and it's hard and steep and you're going to need crampons and an ice axe and you're going, to, you're going to be fine. Here's everything you need, right? One journey, four distinct stages to the journey, each with preparations to make and skills to master. When Jesus calls you and me to follow him, he is inviting us on the journey of a lifetime. And it's kind of like my winter mountain climb. Uh, fortunately, following Jesus doesn't require a bunch of expensive mountaineering gear nor the danger of falling into a crevasse. But it is similarly one journey with four major movements, four stages, each with preparations to make and skills to master. When Jesus says, come follow me, he's inviting us on the journey of a lifetime to know God, feed your soul, grow in love, and change your world. There's the four movements. One journey, four stages. To know God, feed your soul, grow in love, and change your world. Now, let's say those together, just because this is the outline for the next four weeks. We're going to do this. I want you, everybody's got to participate. I even have motions, okay? This is like kids' church, okay? We're, the journey of a lifetime, to know God, feed your soul, grow in love, and change your world, okay? Now, everybody all in or we start over, all right? Let's do it. Ready? Jesus is inviting you on the journey of a lifetime to know God, feed your soul, grow in love, and change your world. Today we're going to focus in on the first stage of the journey, the journey of a lifetime. What does it mean to know God through worship? And I want to invite you to open your Bibles to what is maybe Jesus' most famous story of all time. Uh, we know it as the story of the prodigal son, although it should probably be called the story of the compassionate father. It's in Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2 and then jump down to verses 11 to 32. Our page number in the Pew Bible there, if you want to grab that and join us, is page 874, wrapping around to 875. 
Luke 15, let's read verses 1 and 2, and then skip down to 11 through 32. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, this is Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now verse 11, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in his father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, all these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son. You're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother, your brother, was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Thanks be to the Lord for the reading of his word. This story that Jesus tells is nothing short of brilliant. It's simple, it's very human, it's gripping, and it's profound. It takes just over like two, two and a half minutes to read it aloud. 
but it would take hours to unpack the spiritual insights that are in this story. And since our time is limited this morning, I'm, I'm going to limit myself to three, okay? In this story, Jesus is showing us the purpose of our lives, the problem we all have, the pursuit we can't live without, okay? The purpose, the problem, the pursuit. That's our outline for this morning. And all of this, I pray, will help us learn what it means to know God through worship on this journey of a lifetime as we follow Jesus. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray and ask the Lord to teach us. Father, we want to know what it means to follow Jesus, to respond rightly to who you are in our lives. Help us, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. So in this story, Jesus is, first of all, showing us the purpose of our lives, the purpose. One of the most striking features of this story is also one of the easiest things for us to miss, overlook. And it is the familial, relational texture of the story itself. This is a story about a father and his two sons and the relational dynamics between those parties. The younger son uh, insults his father, basically wishes him dead. Look, I want your stuff now, like like you're already dead. He runs off, wrecks his life, only to repent and come home into the father's surprising and overwhelming forgiveness, love, and joy. The older son, in contrast, does everything right, at least on the outside. He stays home, he manages things well, but in the end, we find out his heart has been boiling underneath, that he is actually full of bitterness and anger and resentment toward his father. So from a financial or moral standpoint, when we hear this story, we think, oh, the younger brother, he's the bad guy. He's on the outs, right? He's the one who wrecked everything. And the older brother, he's clearly in. He's the good guy. He's responsible. He's kept his nose clean. He's been fiscally prudent, you know? But then the ironic twist in the story is that from a relational standpoint, it's just the opposite, isn't it? It's the younger brother who was a jerk who ends up in And it's the older brother who was so very good who ends up on the outs. It's shocking. And the way that Jesus tells the story shows us that this relational dynamic with the father is the most important thing in the story. It's it's more important than the assets that were lost or the moral imprudence that was exercised. The most important thing is whether these brothers are reconciled to the father or not. That's where the watershed of the story lies, right? Think about it. Which son would you rather be? If you had to take it whole package, would you rather be the, the good son who ends up resentful and accusatory and refuses to join in the father's joy, or would you rather be the younger son who made a royal hash of your life and yet comes home to the father's embrace? Which Which one's the right one to choose? And yet it's the one with the messiest story. Isn't that interesting? It's counterintuitive. The younger brother is the story you actually want. 
Because in the end, what matters most, this is the brilliance of Jesus' storytelling, what matters most is our relationship with our Heavenly Father, because that's what this story is all about. To be in right relationship with our Father, that's what life is all about. It is the purpose of our lives. We are made to come alive in joyous relationship with God. We are made to come alive in joyous relationship with God. That our souls are made to know God, to delight in joy as we know Him and worship Him from the very core of our being. We were made, as Colossians 1 says, by Him and for Him. Just as our bodies need food and are made to eat, our souls need God in order to live. We were made to live with God as our Father, not as orphans on our own, but as beloved children of God. This is what we're made for. As Pascal says, there's a God-shaped vacuum at the heart of every person. Or as St. Augustine put it, our hearts, our souls are restless until they find their rest in you. So in this story, Jesus is showing us our purpose. The purpose of our lives is to know God as our Father, to delight in His presence and to overflow in worship in relationship to Him. We were made to to come alive in joyous relationship with God. That's our purpose. Secondly, Jesus is showing us our problem our problem. This is the problem we all have. If our ultimate purpose is a life-giving relationship with our Heavenly Father, that's what we're made for, then our ultimate problem is the estrangement that we all have when it comes to God. And actually, both sons in this story are estranged from their father, but in very different ways. On the one hand, you have the younger brother, right? who in horrifying audacity says, I want my inheritance now, which is like saying, Dad, I wish you were dead now so I could have the stuff and get on with my life. It's a heartbreaking rejection of the father. So off he goes with his newfound wealth into a far off country, far with reference to what? With reference to the father. He goes on a journey of self-discovery He parties it up, squanders away everything, and then he has some bad luck. A famine hits, a recession comes, inflation rises, and all of a sudden he finds himself in a mess. And he has to slop pigs, which is particularly shameful for a Jewish boy. These are unclean animals. And he's so hungry, he doesn't have food that he wants to eat the pig slop, but they won't even let him do that. That's for the pigs, young man. You get your own food. And when we think about people who are estranged from God, this is often the picture we conjure up in our minds. The prodigal, the dissolute, the lover of prostitutes, the rebel running away from God, down in the gutter, wallowing in the pigsty, an irreligious person, a sinner. And that is one way to reject God, isn't it? It's not the only way, though, because look at the older brother. 
The older brother also receives his inheritance from the father, but unlike the younger brother, he's prudent, he's faithful, he's responsible with what he's been given. He's hardworking and he stays at home. But none of that means that he has a life-giving, joyous relationship with his father. In fact, at the end of the story, we realize just how painfully estranged they actually are and have been this whole time. When the older brother finds out the father's throwing this huge party because the younger brother comes home, he, he is livid. It says in verse 28, he was angry and he refused to go in. So here he is with his arms crossed, standing out, scowl on his face, throwing a hissy fit, right? That's a technical term from the Greek, hissy fit. Um, but he, but he, what, what is he doing? By refusing to come into the party, he's rejecting the father in his moment of greatest joy, and he's rejecting his brother's homecoming, isn't he? He's saying, I don't want to be a part of this. And he shames and embarrasses the father in front of all of his friends and guests. So the rumor gets back to the father, you know, your son's being a jerk. He won't come in. And so the father comes out. He says, you know, you really need to come in. And the son just blows a gasket. There's been back pressure in his heart this whole time, and it bursts out. Verse 28b, his father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, oof, that is not how you talk to your father. Look, these many years I've served you, the word in Greek is slaved. All these years I've slaved for you. And I never disobeyed your commands. Really? Never? Never? But you see his entitlement, don't you? His self-righteousness. You owe me, Dad. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. This party should have been mine. But when the son of yours came, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf for, for him. Do you, see, do you see his verbal disassociation from the family here? He refuses to call him my brother, this son of yours. It's his brother, this son of yours. He fails to address his father with respect and call him father. He says, look, and he fails to call his brother Brother, this son of yours, it's passive aggressive, but the point is clear. I want nothing to do with this family. I'm out. For all of his good behavior, for all of his staying around home, this older brother has a heart that is bitter and angry and estranged from his father. Father, don't you see this? And Jesus is showing us in this story, there are actually two ways to reject God, not one. You can reject God through younger brother rebellion, rejection of God. You can stiff arm God, you can run away, you can live by your own rules, you can kind of, you know, deal with whatever you want to do in life and live your own way and end up with the consequences. That's sort of this irreligious estrangement from God by being an obvious sinner. That's one track, younger brother rebellion. But there's another kind of rebellion, older brother rebellion, rejection of God. And 
we see it in the older brother here. He didn't want a relationship with his father. That's not what all this goodness was for. He just wanted stuff. He wanted a party with his friends. Notice who's not on the invite list. The father. I just want to hang out with my friends. I want to take your stuff and use it to have a party for me. And all this goodness, all these years, he was good, not as a joy, but begrudgingly, not as a son, but as a slave. The older brother was good, so the father would owe him. And that's why he's ended up so bitter and angry and resentful, because he feels like the father has let him down for all the goodness he has offered to the father. And this is religious estrangement from God. Do you see this? So you can be estranged from God by being really, really bad. And you can also be estranged from God by being really, really good. See, through both irreligion and religion, we estrange ourselves from God. That's what Jesus is showing us. And some of our stories, friends, aligns more with this younger brother. In our stories, our life stories, we we said, I forget you, God. I'm going to go live on my own, do my own thing, define my own happiness. I'm going to live my irreligious life, and I'm going to be estranged from you. And usually it takes one of these pigsty moments for us to come to ourselves and come home. But for others of us, our stories are eerily similar to the older brother. We are the good kids. Our siblings broke our parents' heart, but not us. We kept our nose clean. We showed up at church. We read our Bibles. We lived morally upright lives. And we've been really good. And we think because we've been good, God owes us. After all, thank God we're not like those sinners, those younger brothers out there. Do you see what's happened on the inside of our righteousness? We've become self-righteous. We're trying to earn our own standing before God. We're trying to save ourselves and say, God, here's my righteousness. Bless it. But our righteousness is like filthy rags. And in all of our religious efforts, we're still estranged from the Father. In fact, it's making it worse. We're becoming little Pharisees full of resentment in our hearts. Which is why Jesus is telling this story. Jesus tells this story as a wake-up call for pharisaical hearts. That's why we read the first two verses, for the context. Jesus is telling this parable, this story, in a context where sinners and tax collectors, obviously sinful people, are coming close to Jesus and are inside the house having a meal. And outside the house with their arms crossed, having a hissy fit, saying, this man eats with sinners and tax collectors, are the Pharisees. And do you see the parallels? That the younger brother, the religious sinners are coming in, and the older brothers, the religious Pharisees are standing outside. And Jesus tells this story to try to help the Pharisees to see the self-righteousness in their own hearts. In this story, Jesus is trying to grab our attention. Whether we're irreligiously sinful, like the younger brother, 
or religiously self-righteous like the older brother. Jesus wants us to see we're all, we're all, listen to me, we're all estranged from God. The most religious person in the world is still lost when it comes to the Father. The purpose of our lives is to have a life-giving, joyous relationship with our Father. And yet, older brothers and younger brothers alike, we're estranged from Him. Irreligion sinks us, and religion can never save us. This is our problem. And into all of this hopelessness, Jesus now shows us the pursuit, the pursuit. This is the pursuit we can't live without. It turns out the only hope for both younger and older brothers is the father's pursuit. Look, look, look at the younger brother's story, verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I'll arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just treat me as one of your hired servants. He says, look, I, I know I've blown it as a son. There's no way I'm getting back to where I was. But would you just hire me? Just give me a little job on the team so I can make some money and survive. Many scholars think that his intention here is somehow to earn his way to pay off the debt he squandered away. I'll pay you back, Dad. I'll, he's trying to make restitution. He's trying to make it right. So he heads toward home. And then, in one of the most beautiful passages in all of the Bible, verse 20, but while he was a long, still a long way off, the father saw him. You recognize that gate. That's my boy. All the way out there. And he felt not anger, not bitterness, compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Can you just feel the sweep of this? He saw him and felt compassion for him, and he ran toward him and embraced him and kissed him. Friends, dignified land owner, owners did not run. But this father runs because nothing matters but his boy. And his son launches into his rehearsed, I'm sorry speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father won't let him finish. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Whose robe is that? Whose robe is the best robe in the house? It's the father's robe. Priceless. Put a ring on his hand. Shoes on his feet. He's been walking barefoot this whole way. This ring is a big deal. It's the signet ring with the family crest. They would press it in wax to, to sign guarantee of payment on an invoice. He's given his son the company credit card, the family credit card. That's what that is. Did he deserve that? 
Verse 23, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Oh, heaven, filet mignon tonight. Let us eat and celebrate, for my son was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and he's found, and they began to celebrate. Friends, this is all grace. This is all grace. He comes back. He comes back ready to be a hired hand. It takes decades to pay off his debts. And the father doesn't even let him finish the sentence, but lavishes mercy and grace and forgiveness and affection on his son because there's more mercy in the father than failure in the son. And the father pursues his son in love. It's the only way he gets to come back. It's his only hope. That's the younger son. And what about the older son, the older brother? Well, after his big hissy fit, his disrespectful look, and his refusal to acknowledge his own brother, notice, without any sign of repentance, hmm? the, the, the younger son at least has remorse, right? The older, we got nothing like that in the older brother. But without any sign of repentance, look at what the father does. He pursues his older brother, his older son. Verse 31, and he said to him, son, it's the same word he used for the other, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother, your brother, don't you dare step out, son. This your brother was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and he's found. See, see in, in, in the story just lands with, it's unresolved, right? Because the Pharisees are still outside with their arms crossed. What are they going to do? We don't know. But if this appeal of the Father, if this gracious pursuit of the Father toward this undeserving older son has its appropriate end, its rightful effect, if he responds appropriately to the appeal and pursuit and love and redeeming offer of the Father, what will it look like? This older son is supposed to realize his sin. He's supposed to do the heart diagnostics of realizing he's self-righteous. He's supposed to confess his bitter resentment toward the father all of these years and his entitlement and the fact that he's been good for all the wrong reasons. And he's supposed to fall on grace and come home into the Father's love and forgiveness and mercy and celebration. In other words, the older brother is supposed to realize he's actually a younger brother, <laughs> that he's a younger brother too. Sure, he stayed home, but his heart has been far away. Sure, he acted rightly, but it was for all the self-righteous reasons. The older brother has to realize 
that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and therefore all are freely justified by His grace. Romans 3, 23 and 24. See, the only hope for the older brother and the younger brother, for religious people and irreligious people, is that God relentlessly pursues His lost sons and daughters in redeeming love. That's our only hope is that God relentlessly pursues His lost sons and daughters in redeeming love. And of course, the greatest proof of God's relentless pursuit and His redeeming love is standing right in front of us telling us the story. The man telling us the story is proof positive of God's relentless pursuit and His redeeming love. Because Jesus is the true and perfect Son of the Father, who when we took our inheritance and mouthed off to our Father and squandered everything He's ever given us, our older brother Jesus said to the Father, He says, Father, I see how broken your heart is, and I will go after your lost sons and daughters. And I will find them in that far-off country, and I will pay their debts, and I will bring them home to you. No matter the cost, no matter what it costs me, if it takes my life, I will gladly lay it down to bring many sons and daughters to glory. And it did. It cost him everything, friends. On the cross, Jesus died in our place and for our sake, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God so that we might be the adopted sons and daughters of God forever, so that the purpose of our life, to have a life-giving relationship with our Father, might be joyously restored through the work of of our Jesus. Younger brothers, the story of the younger brothers shows us, friends, that no, no amount of badness can keep you away from the Father. And the story of the older brother teaches us that no amount of goodness will ever get you in. Our only hope is God's relentless pursuit and His redeeming love in the person of Jesus Christ. Friends, when Jesus says, come, follow me. He's inviting you on the journey of a lifetime. And the first stage of that journey is to know God through worship. You were made for this. You were made to know God. You were made to rejoice in His presence. You were made to bask in His love. You were made to delight in His goodness and come alive in His worship. And every single one of us through irreligion or religion, whether we're younger brothers or older brothers or some sort of weird toxic mix of the two, like me, we're all of us estranged from God because of our sin and our self-righteousness, which is sin. And then Jesus came. He came from heaven to earth to make God known to us and to enable us to know God and step into the abundant life 
of a joyous relationship with him to worship him forever. Friends, isn't it time you said yes to Jesus? Isn't it time you said yes and admitted that you're a sinner and that you're desperate? None of your religion's going to work. You've got to come home. Isn't it time you believe that Jesus has done everything, everything to make you right with God, that he's opened the door for you to know God and be his child? Isn't it time you committed your life to him and said, be my Savior, be my Lord, be my everything? I'm yours. And friends, if you've been following Jesus for a while, isn't it time you committed to worship? Do do you realize worship services are not just a thing we do? Worship is our life. It's what we're made for. You will go to glory and worship forever because you're made for this. And so every week we gather to be exposed to a fresh taste of the, of the grace of God, to, to read the truth of his word, to calibrate our souls to his reality, to sing his praises and come alive in worship of the God we were made for. You can't skip this. This is who we are. I know the pandemic messed a whole bunch of us up. We got habits, we got out of habit, and we got, listen, I understand that, I get it. It messed me up, but it's time we got back to who we are and the worship of our God, because this is what we're made for. Friends, Jesus is inviting you on the journey of a lifetime to know God, feed your soul, grow in love, and change your world. And it all begins by knowing God through worship. Won't you follow him? Won't you follow him? Let's pray. Father, your love is unbelievable on so many levels to our hearts. It feels too good to be true that your love and mercy would come running after us, that you would run to us, that you would call us son, daughter, that you would pursue us in your redeeming love. All of our sin forever atoned on the cross in Jesus. All of our goodness, filthy rags on the floor. And the only thing that matters is Christ and Christ alone. And you smile over our lives for Jesus' sake. Help us believe this. Help us live into this. Help us share this. Shout it from the rooftops. There is no better news in the universe. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you will do in Jesus and in our lives. Thank you for inviting us on this journey. 
we choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.